Hello, dear listeners. James Barnett, producer of the Night's End podcast here. I'm interrupting this episode to give a shout out to our newest patron, Gibberish. Thank you so much for your support. With your help, we are able to pay all the costs associated with running this podcast. We very much appreciate it. For anyone else out there that may be interested in joining as a patron, where you can gain access to patron-exclusive episodes and merch rewards, head to patreon.com forward slash Podcast. Thank you all for listening. Enjoy the episode. garden. Strange to see it still being looked after, after all these years. Oh, it's you. You must be Jimmy. My father has been telling me about you and your friend here. Hello, Anna. Nice to officially meet. We are sorry about last time, but you appeared to be completely under the influence of Malik. Yes. And for that, I am ashamed. He deceived me. It was quite an experience to find out that I'm actually dead. Quite depressing, really. I've just been sitting here in the garden thinking about all the things I never got to do. We are sorry, Anna. I never got to kiss a girl. Or a boy. Never got to fall in love. Never got to have my debutante ball, which means I was never really an adult. If you've spoken to your father, then you know we are doing everything we can to end him. Yes, I know, but that doesn't get me my life back. That doesn't get me my mother back. She is well and truly under his spell. We know. We can't help you with getting your life back, but we may be able to help get your mother back and free you all from the mansion. And I thank you for that. If there's anything I can do to help, let me know. Well, you know Malik more than any of us. Did he reveal anything to you? Not really. Though, he used to always bring me out here. I guess it's him that maintains these gardens. He was always interested in something that is in the bench that I'm sitting on. I must go. I hope that this helps. Good day, friends. Goodbye, Anna. Now let's see what's in this bench, friend. It looks like a compass. 
a broken one. But I can feel a dull energy coming from within. Let's hold on to it. And maybe another clue will reveal something about it. It looks like the hedges are closing in on us and are trying to prevent us from leaving. There's a walkway through here. It looks like a maze. Tighten your coat, friend. I think we're going to be here a while. Murder Maze. Written by Jonathan Reddick. Narrated by David Martinez. Enter if you dare, warned a cantankerous old man with a stringy eyeball dangling to his bearded chin. It almost looked real to the three college students lingering at the entrance to the Crestfield murder maze and food truck roundup. Rex and his date Marlia walked side by side, while their unaccompanied third wheel, Jorge, maintained a respectable distance. Marlia's roommate Jamie was a no-show to the blind double date. Jorge offered to nix the thing, but Rex insisted he come along instead of wasting a perfectly non-refundable ticket. Not three feet through the giant, crooked brass gates, a lanky clown on spring stilts eyeballed Rex, singling him out among the group of three, whose aversion to insane clowns was immediately apparent to all present. Haunted attraction actors were trained well to spot the easy targets in a crowd. This particular clown wore dripping red eye makeup and gray polka dots over white cheeks. She had a scarlet nose and a dark rainbow afro. The tattered clothes were striped black and white with red patches sewn here and there, and a wispy cape or shawl hovered in the air as it rose and fell. Each bounce had a distinct squeak. The trio attempted to maneuver their way past the throng of foodies in line, but whichever route Rex took, the hopping mad clown followed and impeded his progress. Rex's visual discomfort made for good sport, but he was determined to shake it off, even as a group of cool teens laughed at his expense, who snickered and jeered using slang that he did not recognize. Stupid high schoolers. I wish this jerk would jump in their faces. Jorge was just glad no attention was paid to him as he coolly sauntered through the crowd like a ghost. They found the turnstile to enter the actual corn maze. A large paint splattered sign warned, this is your last chance to turn back. They waited for their turn to begin as the clown continued to harass Rex, further popping his personal bubble. The chuckling clown pressed into the line so Rex could not advance into the cornfield. 
Do you mind, creep? Rex finally said. Marley laughed at this. As Rex attempted to conceal his disdain for both the clown and Malia's enjoyment at his distress, he hated that he paid for this treatment. This is not fun. Marlia took out her phone. This is hilarious. I need to take a video. Hold that pose, clowny. Rex did not like the idea of this moment being preserved for posterity. All he could do was wince and shake his head no. Thanks, babe, she yelled to the clown. Bored, the clown turned away from the group toward a crying child in a blue Power Force costume. As she bounded away, she spit at the back of Rex's head. Ew, fucking gross, dude. Jorge suggested they forget the whole thing if Rex was too scared. Rex denied his fear. Marley at two noticed he did seem especially rattled by the foreboding presence of the bouncing clown. We don't need to stay, I promise. We can do anything else. We bought the tickets. We're going. That clown is just a fucking asshole. Jorge offered an unwelcome suggestion. Lighten up, dude. The clown's just trying to get a reaction. Rex was beyond agitated. No, it's just stupid is all. Turning their attention away, the students advanced to the front of the line. Jorge replied, Hey, sorry you're intimidated by sexy clowns, but direct your hostility elsewhere, brah. Forget it. We're going in and won't see her again. He was eager to get on the other side of the wooden barricade that surrounded the perimeter of the maze. A fancy-dressed corpse in a striking but filthy three-piece suit reminded the guests not to touch the actors, and the actors would not touch them. Once inside the maze, Rex turned back. The clown was now performing for the child, even incorporating him into the act. A crowd had formed around them, cheering. They somehow found her antics charming. This perturbed Rex for reasons he was unsure of. As they entered the maze, Marlia shouted sarcastically, This is so amazing. While they began making their way through a series of twists and turns. In the distance, an arrangement of spooky sounds filtered through the thousand corn stalks. Shrieks of terror and howling could be heard from any point in the park. They passed various macabre scenes of simulated violence and splattered blood. An assortment of grotesque creatures leapt from the corn-waving instruments of death. Except a few jump scares, the artifice was at times tasteless, but never truly frightening. In the center of the maze was a dilapidated farmhouse. They entered and walked through the dim halls and across the creaky floorboards. Suddenly, the silence was broken with the superb sound effects of broken glass and deep moaning. Around them swarmed a crowd of flesh-eating zombies. They all thought that was pretty exciting. One pretended to eat Marley's arm. That gave Marley an idea. Let's eat after this. Nom nom. Jorge mumbled something about not being hungry. 
exiting the house, Rex was distracted before he could respond by a springing sound that was coming up behind him. He turned in panic, expecting to see the clown leaping into him. But there was only corn. Row after row of neatly planted stalks. He listened intently for the sound, but could only hear Marlia discussing her sudden desire for cornflakes and buttery popcorn, corn dogs, and corn syrup infused soda pop. They continued on through the maze. He listened closely for the spring. He was dissuaded from sharing this paranoia with his date. Meanwhile, unbeknownst to the happy couple, Jorge had forged on ahead. While they conversed about their post-maze plans to share a meal and some pie, up and down they made their way, meeting several dead ends along the way. They eventually moved on to the next scene. This one depicted a Frankenstein monster wildly swinging a chainsaw. Wolf howls and fog were piped in from a fake wooden barrel. This is neither scary nor accurate. Frankenstein's monster wouldn't use a chainsaw. Marley laughed at Rex's pedantic commentary. He seemed at ease and in good spirits once again. Good job knowing the monster isn't called Frankenstein. If I recall, he also didn't live in a cornfield. They laughed until they turned a corner. Rex's countenance immediately fell at the sight. Ruddy cheeks were replaced with pallor of sudden trepidation. It was the same clown as before. He was sure of it. Seeing this change in him, Marlia said, What's with you and clowns, man? What was the clown doing? You might be wondering. It was hopping up and down on the bloody corpse of a motionless child prop, or what they assumed was a prop. With each plop, more red fluid gushed out. The victim was dressed in a blue, now reddened, Power Force Ranger costume. Oh, that's clever. What's clever? replied Rex, now holding Marlia's coat to partially shield his eyes. The fresh murder was too grisly to witness. They make a big show with the kid actor and the crazy clown at the entrance and make you fall in love with their act. Then... They have a stuffed bag wearing the same costume and duplicate clown on stilts. So you think, oh, the poor kid, he did. Rex's flight or fight senses couldn't process this explanation rationally. So he closed his eyes as Marlia led him past the bloody scene. The hairs of his head stood erect. She found his naive fear amusing. It's just a high schooler in a wig and makeup. He heard the clown whisper. You're next, crybaby. Before the gloved hands of his tormentor pushed Rex to the ground, slipping into the mud. Rex was furious, but still desperate to leave. Without looking back, he crawled his way to the next pathway. The gurgling sound of the dying child was undeniably realistic. What sick fuck thinks these up? The next scene was much tamer. A gorilla with a chainsaw hand. Another chainsaw? For cripe's sake, Marlia bellowed. And yet, the sound of the rusty stilt springs never left Rex's imagination. Was it real or imagined? 
Once or twice, he nearly shouted for the clown to show herself, but he refrained, not knowing how Marlia would take such an outburst. They finally made their way to the colossal neon exit sign. It took them a moment to discover it, but this was a false exit. It was a dead end. They were stumped. Now what? That sign was a dirty trick, said Marlia not jovially. Before they could begin retracing their steps, they found themselves surrounded by half a dozen disheveled children crawling out of the corn. Some even carried sickles. The couple were slowly encircled. And then the children made vulgar threats. Merely threats, all in vain. Eventually, Marlia and Rex made their escape from the crazed youths, and after wandering aimlessly in the dark, they stumbled upon the authentic, very nondescript exit. That was some climactic ending, shouted Rex. <laughs> Worth every penny, giggled Marlia. She had started holding his hand during the final scare and hadn't let it go since. Rex smiled and squeezed her sweaty palm. Walking up to the park entrance, the couple decided they should locate their missing companion. But nearly everyone had already departed, and Jorge was nowhere to be found. They did, however, notice a distraught middle-aged married couple talking to security. The mother explained loudly. He's eight years old. He was wearing a green... No, blue, corrected the father. A blue power slayer suit added the mother. Power force, corrected the father. The security guard wrote that down in her notepad. Okay, ma'am, I see. When was the last time you saw him? She looked at her watch nervously. M maybe an hour ago? Where was he last seen? By the entrance, the mother recalled, pointing. He was dancing with one of the performers. A wacky clown on springy stilts, added the father pantomiming the dance choreography. With a funny red nose and a poofy green, no, a blue wig. Sir, none of our performers use stilts. It's against our insurance policy. Were you possibly mistaken? And then the horrible truth suddenly dawned on Rex. Wait, the kid, Jorge. With little thought for his own safety, he ran back through the corn maze exit. Where are you going? asked Marlia, astonished at his flight. A teenager collecting trash bags attempted to stop him. Hey, sir, that's not an entrance. He shrugged and returned to his refuse. The park was closing for the night and the staff was eager to wrap up and head home. The labyrinth was completely deserted. He rushed as best as he could to the location where he last saw the clown trampling the most likely dying if not already dead child. The surge of adrenaline had begun to wear off the closer he was to the scene to the alleged crime. It took the last reserve of his fear-ignoring adrenaline to make that last corner, the one he had awkwardly crawled out of not an hour earlier. But the clown and the boy were both gone. All that remained was bloodied plastic mask pieces. Rex panicked at the thought of his friend being trampled in similar manner. Where could he be? The last place he saw him was the old farmhouse. He raced deeper into the maze to the farmhouse. It was quiet. The back door was ajar. 
He slowly opened it further and entered. He thought he heard the springs of the clowns from the ceiling. What am I doing here? He spoke aloud. The sound of his own voice frightened him prematurely. The realization that he was in danger, actual danger, set in, and he scrambled to find his way out. He called out to his friend in a broken plea. This caused the squeaking to stop, and he heard voices. Two half-naked teens had been making after-hours use of the upstairs prop bed and made their way out of the front door toward the front entrance. Rex thought about following, but they were long gone. Embarrassed and somewhat relieved, he hastily ran outside back into the maze. Determining there was nothing he could do but get himself killed, he stumbled frantically toward the exit again. All thoughts of heroism had vanished. So many dead ends. None of it felt right. It was all too eerily familiar. Where were those two hormonal half-dressed teen employees when he needed them? It was too dark to navigate. The lights were turning off, one by one. He started to question his sanity. What if there were no exit? What had he done? It occurred to him they would be looking for the lost boy. They would find him also and lead him out again. He called out. He heard some workers mumbling in the distance. Or perhaps it was Marlia calling for him. Or maybe it was the clown taunting him. It was too faint to tell. Should he run to the sound or away? Or did it not matter? The quickest route was not as the raven flew, but as the clown bounced. He ran around every which way, breathing heavily, until finally, in his panic-stricken state, he found the exit again. But it was the false exit again. How had he lost his bearings so easily? This time there was no ring of dingy child actors. Rex was alone, in a corn crop circle. He laughed at his own stupidity. Who falls for the same cheap trick twice? He felt around spastically until he found the way he had come. Salvation was close at hand, and then he heard it. Not the wind blowing through the corn. No, this was unmistakable. It was the slight sound of heavy breathing and crumpled corn stalks, for he was not alone. Someone whimpered quietly behind him in the shadow of the tall ears. A figure lay on a pile of trampled husks. Rex hesitated for the length of many held breaths before committing to investigate. He approached and whispered to get their attention. Did they need aid? Rex promised to return with the security and the police and with guns and ammunition. He recognized the words of his roommate. Help me, Rex. It's me, I'll get help. Rex jumped to attention. No, stay with me. The feeble voice pleaded. Beads of sweat accumulated on Rex's cowardly brow. He fought the urge to abandon Jorge in terror as he knelt and held Jorge's bloody hand while beholding his disfigured body in the light of his dying cell phone. Tears flowed down Jorge's mangled face. What else could be done? Nothing. 
absolutely nothing. And after a moment passed in silence, Jorge was gone. All that remained was Rex, and menacing, high-pitched laughter, and the familiar sound of rusty stilts springing. The sound was closer than ever. And then, it was upon him. Listening to the Night's End podcast, which is a production of Dissonance Media. Murder Maze was written by Jonathan Reddock. To connect with Jonathan, find him at Jonathan Reddock on Twitter and at Illusions of Grandeur on Instagram. Also, why not pick up Collective Darkness and Little Darkness on Amazon and other booksellers? Links are in the description. This episode was narrated by David Martinez. David Martinez howls from the Bronx, New York. From a young age, he has always enjoyed the theatricality of vocal variety, especially cartoon voice actors. He enjoys singing, having in-depth conversations about the human condition, and believes honing his voice craft is a fun challenge. As one of our strongest and clearest ways to communicate and express how we feel, he admires voice actors who continue to push themselves in explorative directions to deliver unique audio experiences. Jimmy Horrors was performed by James Barnett. Anna Mortain was performed by Rebecca Strazina, who is the host of her show, The West London Witch. Link is in the description. This episode was edited and produced by James Barnett. And as always, stay horrific, everyone.